Welcome to Brand Day, where we're talking with the biggest names in the business. And today we're talking with Matt Mazio. He is the general partner at KOTU. He was before that, he was the manager directing at Lowercase Capital. And before that, he was with CAA. Great resume. I've done this, I think, four times already. How did we do it, Matt? That was, you nailed it. That was exactly it. Yeah, I'm a general partner these days at KOTU, previously Lowercase. And then before that, a life at CAA, from mailroom to, to the digital group there. So... Well, the CAA thing is fascinating to me because you were there, this is pre-Facebook, and you were basically, correct me if I'm wrong, building brands around celebrities, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my role there, I came right out of school. So 2005, put you in time. YouTube, you know, hadn't been born yet. Twitter's not born yet. Facebook's still college campuses. And I joined the firm and really went to the mailroom and then managed to create a new path for myself around, you know, helping start companies, you know, and work with talent in the agency to build new companies, things like Funny or Die, where we would raise venture capital, operate the company and spin it out. And then helping talent of the agency figure out how to partner with platforms like Facebook and Netflix and Tencent and others. Uh, and then representing the first generation of YouTubers as they became sort of, you know, owned their own distribution. So my role was, I, my first client was Michelle Fon and helping find this next generation of creators that weren't just, you know, talent working for studios and networks and brands, but were actually owning their audience and owning their distribution. So it was kind of a unique moment in time to come into the entertainment industry. Well, now, I and mean, what do you think? So there you're kind of at the beginning. And now you look at a guy like Griffin, right? We were talking before. Yeah. Him and the guys are investors. They own companies. They're involved in their personal brand. They've got all these projects going on. And not just him. You look at athletes now. They want to talk VC. They want to talk startups. You know, all these. And you got like the Jessica Albas of the world, these celebrity yeah. entrepreneurs. How far has it come from when you were starting? Was any of this even a thought? You know, it was a thought for some of the more entrepreneurial ones. So Ashton was a client of the agency. He's a good friend. You, you know, ended up being a, an investor in uh, in a few of our funds over time. Um, and what I'll tell you is like some talent. Gary Vaynerchuk was a was a friend and a is a, is a friend and was a client at the agency. There were some that really understood it and knew where the world was heading and knew that like it wasn't just about work for hire work anymore in entertainment. That it was about their relationship with their audience. And that once you had a trusting brand in relationship with an audience, you could do a bunch of things with that, whether it was invest or launch your own company or the same way that they had sold their influence to brands and endorsements. They could build that you know, relationship directly with the consumer for products that they believed in. And so there were some that really understood it. Michelle Fawn is a great example who like understood it natively. She wasn't just a video creator. She was a community manager for years and scaled an audience to millions before she ever sold them anything or before she ever tried to pitch anything that she had built. So some talent really understood it, but it has reached a whole other level. And, you know, watching Griffin and the guys, you know, take that, take that baton and sort of like build a platform themselves of like VC operator, podcaster, like an owning audience across all of those is a, it's fun to watch it play out. Griff, talk yeah, about no. kind of how you ended up here. I mean, cause you're, you're doing <laughs> everything that he's talked about. Yeah, I know. We've, I mean, we've spoke about it before, you know, there's, there's definitely a couple um, people that have done similar things and gave us an, a nice little roadmap, but you know, it's definitely um, a new era with TikTok and we've done some really crazy things that I don't really know how we do sometimes, but um, <laughs> you know, Matt, you've, you kind of seen what we're doing and like you were talking about with Ashton and Gary, you know, they're one of few. Like, what do you, what do you think it is 
like that keeps bringing people back to the agencies and doing like the same mainstream, like, Oh, I'm going to follow what everyone else is doing. And like, what do you, do you think that's going to change and it's going to affect the agencies? Or do you think people are always just going to like take that similar route? And there's going to be a few people that are like the ones that get it. Yeah. I think, I think this is actually, you know, you're both examples of this and actually all three of us kind of do this natively. So there's, there are people that will forever want to be employed and like want the security that comes with that paycheck and just want to do the craft. There is no shame in wanting to do the craft of being in entertainment and just acting on a TV show. That is an incredible craft. If you're a writer and that's what you love to do and you're just like, that's what you want to spend your time doing. It's an incredible craft, right? Like Tom could spend all day doing sales and like, you know, you're at a fortune 200 company today. That's a, a lot of work. That's, you know, your craft, Griffin, of creating content for your audience is a lot of work. You could just do that all day. There's another sort of group outside of that bubble that loves doing that, but is also driven to continue to learn and expand their sphere into other areas and learn what the rest of the world looks like. And there's, there's a generation of that, that talent that wants to take the extra step, that wants to understand how brands get built, that wants to understand how to build a product, you know, that wants to understand how to build games or invest in companies. And they take it upon themselves to like spend time that they could be relaxing or doubling down on their core business to build that skill set. And I've seen that skill set pay off for a lot of people who like want to expand their interest outside of their core work. And like, it, I think it pays massive dividends for you if you do it. And that's what you're doing now. You're like, there will always be talent that wants to, to work as just an entertainer. I, I heard it a lot from artists who are like, I don't want to tweet. I just want to act. And that is a totally valid, awesome way to do it. There's another generation that wants to do all of it and learn what else is out there or what can be done. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that's a good point. You know, I, the, there's always a trade-off because sometimes it's nice to just focus on one thing and, you know, be the best at it. But, you know, it's just, um, I feel like there's only a certain cap when it comes to media and, and talent um to how much money you can really make like it's just never going to compare to business so i just think it's an interesting way not you know money doesn't drive everyone so it's different but you know i like owning things and and building things so it's yeah. a little bit different for me so i, I guess it yeah I just because you have this curiosity and this drive that's not like you just naturally find yourself asking questions about how the world works and it reminds me of you know, like I mentioned, Ashton and Gary and Gary, you know, I met Gary, whatever it was, 15 years ago. And he would show up at South by Southwest Interactive when it was like a thousand people. And when everyone else was going to the film thing and going and watching screenings, Gary was hosting late night wine jam sessions in his hotel room with the founders of companies like Uber and Twitter and, you know, Facebook and, early, you know, early employees at all these companies and asking just tons of questions around the way that they saw the world evolving. And like, that gear is just a natural curiosity that I think like exposes you to all these other ways to make money, achieve your goals, like make an impact. Like you'll have the opportunity to do all of those things because you're naturally curious and putting yourself in the room and asking questions. I think it's an incredible skill. I heard that story about South by Southwest and that's where you met Chris, correct? Yeah. I met like, I met Chris Saka. I met like, you know, uh, Travis, I met, you know, uh, Garrett from Uber. I met like, many of my like close friends in, in business and like people who've been close to me for years 
uh, from those early jam sessions when, uh, you know, when nobody was really going and we were just a bunch of nerds hanging out in a hotel room, that's kind of, and we're still, we, you know, we still text and hang out all the time. You look at um, Gary V and I, I read this, I was doing homework on you. You were saying he was just the wine guy, Griff. I, I don't know if you knew this, but he wasn't always Gary V, right? He used to be kind of a wine guy working in his dad's liquor store. Yeah, how did he, he how did he network? Talk about networking and how, how you get it done. I mean, that's a great it example wasn't of networking. It wasn't it, like networking is such like a, it's kind of like a charged word. Like he just was genuinely curious. Like the way that the two of you build your business is that like people want to be around you because you ask great questions and you have interesting conversations and it's genuine. It never feels transactional. Gary was never transactional. He literally just loved meeting people and understanding how they work and understanding business. And so he would sit in the room with founders and just genuinely ask questions. He went from a, a guy who like had an expertise. His expertise was wine. And so he used that to like host awesome parties and bring great wine. And like, it was always fun to be around. And then it was just fun to be around and he was a great conversationalist. And so he used that to then like realize where the ball was moving. And that's kind of still what he does. He just, he's ear to the ground. And only now he's having conversations with like millions of people on the internet daily. And it's not work for him. It's not networking. It's just fun. It's how he gets, how he gets high. Like this is his thing is he loves the discussion and the jam and like meeting people and debating where the world is going. And it's like, he's not... He's not creating content. If you've ever spent time with Gary, his entire thing is that he's documenting what he actually loves doing. Just so happens what he loves doing is a highly valuable thing, which is like understanding where social media and attention are going and company building is going. So I think he's just done it different. He's built different in that way. Yeah, I, uh, that, I think that's the key to um, people sometimes they want to follow what somebody else is doing and what is working for them. And it almost never, never works because usually the really successful people that can last and make it for a long time, it's because, like you said, they just genuinely like to do it. So for people listening, whenever you're doing things, you can like take ideas from people, like as far as like how they format and, you know, kind of like the style of videos and kind of create your own craft from it. But like you, there's no way you could ever copy um, someone's like brand or image and try to like replicate it to get, to get yeah. famous and have it actually work. It just doesn't, you'll never make it. I, I think that's a great point, man. I think that actually, like, if I look at like the differentiation for like the longevity, it's like the compounding growth of somebody in a career. It's because they just genuinely loved whatever that task was. Like if you guys didn't love doing this podcast, it's definitely like there are better ways to spend your time, but you're going to build an incredible brand on the back of this podcast and learn a lot from the process and it will eventually be very valuable. But most people get sidetracked along the way because it's just work to them. It's like it's not worth putting the time. And for a long time, it will not it will not be worth it. It may never be profitable but you love doing it and it shows. That's why your content's great. That's why the two of you have a great rapport. And I believe that's why you'll be successful at it. But if it was, if this has worked to you, there's no chance you end up sustaining it. If it feels like a grind, there's way better ways to, to you know, people don't want to grind. They want to do things that they're passionate about, you know? 
Griff, that is an excellent point you made. And for the younger people, you've got a younger audience who are listening. The way I ended up here doesn't even fucking make sense, right? I'm, I'm twice the age of you, Griff. And the fact that we even do a podcast together is bizarre. But I was just fascinated with influencers like four or five years ago. I interviewed Jake Paul. He shared an article I wrote and it got 100,000 views in five minutes. And I was like, who the fuck is this kid? And then I just kept interviewing, kept interviewing. And that kind of became my thing. But I do it because I genuinely enjoy it. It makes money now, but it didn't for years. But yeah. I kept doing it just because I really enjoyed talking with you guys. My, my wife started a YouTube network for you know the last couple of years around her big, biggest passion, which is like Korean content, Korean culture. And it took her a year and a half to get to what is now 150,000 subscribers and starting to get, you know, millions of views on those videos. Now it is, you know, a, a business. For a long time, it was a passion. And if it doesn't start with that first, it never becomes the, 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 the latter. So. No, yeah. I mean, all great points, really. I, I think the, the common core is like whenever you're trying to build something, um, build something great, it always is what you're passionate about. There's no other really way around it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we talk about a lot and a message we try to spread is just always, you know, do things you're passionate about and it'll, it'll come. It's not, it's not about upfront, you know, even like um, people get stuck on views a lot or whatever. It's like, you know, instant gratification is the biggest killer in social media. I agree with you. You know, th there's another thing about it that I don't think I've ever articulated that maybe you guys can commiserate with, which is like, if you're really passionate about it, you spend the time in these like gap moments in your life. Like when you're taking a shower or when you're like early in the morning, and you first wake up and you kind of think about it and you obsess on it. And you think about someone you might want to interview, right, Tom, or like Griffin, like some partnership you could do for, uh, for uh, what's it called for bands. Um, like, like those are the moments, the little gaps in the day where your brain drifts naturally, where the best shit comes. Like where the things that might 10 X the brand or 10 X the opportunity or like lead you down to the path that, uh, that like makes the difference in a product, right? Like the little detail on a product where you're like, shit, that's genius. And if you don't have that time natively where your brain drifts there, then you, then you miss those little things. And someone else's brain is doing it in the gap moments and they're going to beat you because they, that, that is where their obsession goes. And that's where like the little magical creative ideas come from is like, the in-between moments when your obsession takes over. Hey, Matt, and, and, and that's a great segue. <clears throat> so you're at CAA. Was building companies and tech, was that where your brain went to? Is that something that you were thinking about and were passionate about in the background? Because it's such a weird progression. I don't hear a lot of yeah, CAA nope. agents going <laughs> over this way. No, nobody goes to CAA and goes through the mailroom with the intention of like, hanging out in San Francisco, right? The goal is to go to like Sundance and like represent the biggest film stars in the world. And I honestly, man, the thing that I love doing was just like hanging out with founders and like bringing those two worlds together was like the thing that I loved the most. Like having a founder or a startup, you know, CEO or explaining why Twitter was going to be relevant to the agent, to the clients of the agency. I just loved that. It felt like seeing a few years into the future and a little bit of like puzzle solving. My brain just like, drifted that way every time and i was like i met the founders of twitter you know whatever it was 2008 in south by southwest you know and it was like among thousands of people and i'm thinking to myself god if this really takes off it's a platform built for distribution totally new way of publishing on the internet you're going to build these follower bases like this could change the way that people could communicate online or the way that you own audience online 
And it just made so much sense to me. And then getting to communicate that back to the, to the agents and the talent at CA, I just loved it. And so, yeah, this is the stuff that I geeked out on. It never felt like work. I never thought I would leave CAA because I had this like, I got to go up to San Francisco every week, find more partnerships like this, bridge those two worlds together, build companies. It's the best job in your 20s. I loved it. So what made you jump ship? I mean, was uh, there like a project that got too big for you to go, I can't do both anymore? No, it was honestly, um, you know, it was a conversation with uh, with Chris Saka, who, who had become a friend over the years from South by and a bunch of jams. And we had a bunch of companies that I was helping him on. You know, he'd invested early in Twitter and Instagram and Kickstarter. And it was just, you know, I saw what he was investing into. And I was like, you know, I really understand the way he's thinking about this world. And he started not in a dissimilar role. He was in a business development role at Google. And, you know, he's, we had just become really good friends. And, uh, and it was the kind of thing where we, we would debate the shit out of every idea that we came across. So when we got together, we would just argue about what we saw the world looking like. And we would like the jams, like we're both two loud Italian guys. And we would just like debate what the future was going to look like. And eventually it was just like, this is kind of what a partnership looks like. Let's debate the future and then find the companies that we want to invest into and do it. And so he said, Hey, why don't you come and join me? You know, I'm building this into a fund. It'll be the two of us. And, uh, and you'll get to help, you know, you'll learn how this industry works and then you'll take over as managing director. And, uh, you know, my mom didn't understand it. This wasn't at a time when seed investing was normal, right? Like the fund was small. I went from like having a window office at CAA to working off my kitchen table in West Hollywood. And it was like, we never had office space. No one understood in LA what a seed fund really was. And I left this really cush job for something that I just believed in. It was a, it was a person I believed in and a trend that I believed in that founders were like talent and that supporting them with capital early and then doing all the stuff that I love doing, the business development, the partnership, the, the mentorship, the help, whatever I could bring to the tables, you know, uh, to learn how those businesses work. It was just going to be an incredible ride. And it was, it was like one of the best rides ever. We had super, it was super fun. Wow. Man, I, uh, it's funny because I, I always hear these stories and it's like when, when I'm, whenever I'm living in the moment, sometimes I look back, I'm like, wow, I've done some things like that. But it always is, it always seems in the moment for me, it's like, when am I going to, like, when am I going to get my moment to take a leap and it works out? Like, it, it's just a weird thing because I'm sure like when you were living it, you didn't really realize what was going on until afterwards when you succeeded and you know, whatever took off for you, it's like, then you can look back and be like, wow, that was, that was a grind. Just like for us, like me leaving college and going to sway, like in the moment, it didn't seem like I was doing anything spectacular. And now I look back, I'm like, wow, I took a big leap of faith, man. And like against everyone, but when you're living it, it just doesn't seem like that. So I just, I always think it's so weird. Yeah. Um, I, it was a leap of faith. It was a pay cut. It was, you know, it was less glamorous. You know, I was literally like kitchen table, no office, just the two of us running around finding companies that we wanted to invest in. And it wasn't obvious yet that it was a rocket ship, right? Like Uber was in a couple dozen cities. Like Twitter was still private. Like people didn't know what the lowercase brand was. And, you know, it, it took a while before people realized what we were doing, which was great, right? We were just ahead of the market. There were 10 seed funds in market. And now there's a thousand plus. And like then it was just, you know, it was a different world. Um, but it definitely felt, it, it felt risky and it felt risky in the right way. Like I was, I, I like, 
I wasn't 30 yet. I was still having fun. I was single, not married. Like I, I just kind of was like, I'm going to throw everything I got into this, into this career and, uh, and get to work with founders. It was the best decision. It was one of the best decisions I've made. Hindsight. Uh You've worked with wow. so many founders and Griff, you, you, I mean, you work with founders too. You're part of this world now too. Matt, what do you look for in a founder? Cause your track record um, was unbelievable over there with some of the companies you invested in early, you know, arguably one of the most successful funds of all time. I heard that, you know, that was written in a couple of places. Was yeah, it you, I, was it the business or was it the founder or what attracted no. you? What made you throw money at them? Um, you know, it's, it, there's a number of things that I look for. There's no, there's never one. Um, you know, I would say you look for people who are anomalous. And I say that with like, they, it, like, usually they have some unfair advantage or insight for the industry that they're going after. Right. There's a bunch of like buzzwords, like founder market fit or founder product fit. But I just look for people who are like, exceptionally skilled at telling the narrative and building and can actually build the product that they're attempting, right? They're like, they have the right combination of the ability to build a team around them, a vision for where the world is heading, um, the technical capacity or the ability to recruit the technical capacity to execute that vision. Um, you know, sort of a, a bold humility, like a, like they're, they're super powered, but they know that there's like weaknesses around them often and that they know how to like, you know, uh, fill in those weaknesses. So that's like one part of it is like really understanding the motivation for who that person is and what's driving them. And like, are they going to be, you know, um, indefatigable? Like, are they just going to continue to grind when other people would have quit and let it go? Um, I look for a lot of those qualities in people. Um, I can't point to like one that's like an instant go. Um, I, you know, I, for, for the product, it's usually products that just like, I can't stop thinking about. It feels a little bit more, I know this is soft, but it's, it's not like a hard rubric. It's like, you know, when I, when I play with a product in the consumer world, or when I understand a product and I look at who is value, valuable for, is it incredibly valuable? And does it feel novel? And does it like, you know, each one of these businesses is kind of like a puzzle and you kind of like start to get a sense for the puzzle pieces that like drive, draw you to it. Do people obsess over it? Do the customers revere it? Is it delightful? Like you start, start to think about like the soft things earlier in a business. And then does the business model make sense? Like it does it, does it become better to run the business over time, right? Like you know, the short rubric is, uh, is it an exceptional person building a business uh, that can make a lot of money quickly and over time get uh, better at running that business or, or more defensible? Right. Like, does the process of running the business end up compounding so the business is more valuable over time as it scales? And those are the kind of like the, the buzzwords are like network effects. You know, the buzzwords are unique technology in a why now moment. The buzzwords are like, you know, uh, exceptional founder. But I think there's more nuance to each one of those that, you know, I, I don't know if I have like, like a 10 point list that I look for. What's the what's your bat what's a good batting average because the model right oh. in these funds is what do you you invest in what is it 20 50 and one hits pays for all the other ones and makes you a bunch of money like what's a what's a good batting average in that it's world not even, it's not even like that so like the, oh, is that? The, this, the, the, here's the here's the truth of the matter is 
your strategy like depends on kind of the fund that you're running, right? Like if you're running a fund with the strategy of I want to put a little bit of capital into a whole bunch of companies, you can have, you know, uh, you know, that batting average, you know, can be different than a fund that's focused on high concentration, right? If you're like, I'm only going to put in 10 companies, I'm going to, you know, really understand and nail down a category of interest. And I'm going to own this category. And then you're, you know, that's a totally different way of doing venture. So like batting average, I've never really thought about batting average as like the right metric for it. It's like conviction in a company and ownership in that company over time. And can I scale my ownership in that business so that the outcome would be meaningful to me? And like, what does the end market look like? How big is the addressable market for the business that I'm investing into? Those are the things that I pay more attention to than like, you know, what's the chance that this wins? Like what you really want to focus on is if it wins, can it be a meaningful returner to the fund and to, and to your LPs? That matters a lot. Yeah. So even for like people that are just investing like in a public like stocks and stuff on Robinhood or whatever, um, whenever they're putting like money in and stuff, they always like, I get a lot of questions. It's like, you know, what do I put into or like, how do I learn about stocks? And I feel like um, I'm no expert because it's not really my forte, but um, I feel like investing in, in general, I, I usually give the general advice. It's like pick something like a lane that you're interested in, whether it's like entertainment, whether it's like crypto, whatever it is, and like understand it and, and develop that perfectly. And I feel like, even in investing too, and what Matt's talking about, you know, it depends. Our investing is kind of diverse, but it's kind of like the same line, you know, like for me, it's health, education, and gaming, like, and like tech platforms, obviously, because we know social media, but like anytime it, like, it, I feel like the whole common theme of this entire episode right now is just like finding what your passion is. Yeah. Because every single time it's like, if you're going to educate yourself on something like, like stocks and stuff, let's just be honest. It's not the most like entertaining thing in the entire world you could do. But like, if you figure out like what you like, then it's, a, it's, it is entertaining to learn about that certain category. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that in and kind of hone in. Cause you know, we're talking a lot of times to audiences that might not be putting in personal checks into startups, but like they can put that into like stocks and, um, and, or even learning things to, uh, you know, put their own time and efforts in. I think you nailed so. it. You nailed it, Griffin. Like the, the, you have to look for what your edge is and your edge can be a lot of things, right? Your edge can be access. Your edge, Griffin is like distribution, certainly, right? Like you can shine a light on almost anything that you find interesting and, and expose it to millions of people. You have a clear edge, but as everybody tries to figure out what their edge is, don't underestimate whether your edge is an obsession, right? Like I, I grew up playing video games. This is just like a, a, a weird tangent, but like I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. It's like how I like to spend time with friends. I grew up with the N64. We didn't have money as kids. And so like having this freaking N64 like made my life. My brother and I like probably gave each other more black eyes than we can count on the back of it. And like, it's just the thing that I like still geek out on. And I grew up with a bunch of friends who ended up going and building cool video game companies. And so like, it's a category I know really well. I probably have an unfair advantage because my time in the shower or like the time that I'm doing research that doesn't feel like work is that. 
When I was at CAA, I just love, I was at, I was at Harvard when Facebook was getting built. I knew about it. My friends were working there. I liked those products. I had an unfair advantage. So when I went to CAA, I was like, I know all about this category. Let me take over this, like this category for us. And I just had an unfair advantage. Like when we invested in startups, like we had a crazy network of people that were just early at South by Southwest and these tech, the tech world and Y Combinator. And so we had an early advantage for any investor the thing that you obsess about, like if I asked you the question today, anyone that's listening, what are the two or three things that you could explain to a friend who knows nothing about a passion of yours and have them come away knowing more than they ever expected? Like, what is that thing that you could explain to someone? That's your thing. And there's lots of ways to make investments and in, in those categories by investing in the companies that you think are playing to that trend or playing to that category. And so there's an obsession that you have where you're like, it doesn't feel like work to read about it on the weekends or watch about it or like talk to people about it where you can do it natively. That's the thing that you should keep investing into because that's your edge that other people can't compete on because they'll never outwork you because it's not work. And that's a great point too. And Griff has got younger people who are listening too. The goal, you know, say you're crazy into video games right now and Griff, you're into this with esports and stuff and you're, you know, 14 years old and you're listening to this. The goal you don't have to just get a job or create a company to succeed, you know, in that space, you know, this could be something you're blogging about on the side and doesn't feel like totally. work and you're writing about it, or it's something you're very impassioned about on social media and you're creating memes about this or whatever. There's a million different ways to get in that world that you're passionate about. It's just, there's not just one path. No question. Again, like pick the thing that you would do if you could get paid to do it. Like if I asked you, you could get paid to do anything to just like learn about anything or like work on anything. I'll pay you a real salary to go and do that. Figure out what that thing is. Then spend your weekend time building insights around that and helping distill those insights into something that is entertaining and measure like how much you're putting out so that you can keep yourself in check and then watch that, that product grow. Pick a channel. I don't care whether it's YouTube or podcasting or email newsletter or TikTok. Talk about the thing that you freaking love to talk about anyway, that you would get paid to talk about build an audience. And then eventually you will get paid to talk about that thing. Like that's what I do. I love startups. It's like my freaking thing. I, I, I <laughs> breathe it. It's like, I love talking to founders. I was on the phone with a founder from Russia. Yes. Like just minutes before this. And it's like, they were like, you look, your energy is awesome. I'm like, cause I freaking love what you're doing. And it feels super fun. It's not work to me. Only then I turned that into a career. I get to invest in those companies that I'm most passionate about. And that's what anyone can do. It's like, you just pick the thing that you're like obsessive over. And if you're not obsessed on anything, then you're probably boring. So uh, I'm la I was laughing because you're so excited and passionate about this and not to get into your personal finances and your business, but I'm sure you're in a very good position these days and you don't necessarily have to take on all these projects, but yet you're taking that call with the Russian investor. You're coming on, on our show. You don't need to, to talk about this stuff. No, you're obviously still very it, pumped up about it. It's cool. It was never about money for me, for, for, to be fair. Like I grew up broke. My dad got sick when I was 12. Like we, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to high school and again to college. Like we got evicted many times as a family, like growing up, like I made more money than I ever thought I would years ago. And like, it, like, I don't need a lot. I, I kind of grew up with that idea that like cons consumption is like a, a tax that you put on yourself. It's like the weight you put on your shoulders. And so it was never about that for me. I, it, I was fortunate that I picked a career that also resulted in, you know, and, you know, the ability to help my family and the ability to take care of myself. But like, I'll be totally honest, like 
I, you know, um, when I, when I made the first like slug of cash, I didn't buy myself a thing. It wasn't like a, you know, a lot of people were like, go out, go out and buy a watch or a car or something. And it just didn't, that wasn't it. Like, and I promise you, like, um, the more money you have, will like, there's a, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, money is in the root, like is the root of all evil. Like having money, like is much better than not having money and being insecure. But I will tell you that like doing the thing that you're passionate about, not selling out for a paycheck is much better than, you know, uh, than like trying to sell your soul. I have a bunch of buddies who burned out because they, they saw a path to money and that was the motivator. And they, uh, and they didn't follow the things that they were passionate about. And years later, they look back and they regret it. They got locked in. And so anyway, tangent, but, um, you just, you just got to do it because you love it. No, that's, I mean, that's a great point for anyone also. It's like, I found, uh, my worst moments were whenever I was chasing like numbers and money and, um, more on the social media side of getting actual like numbers and, instead of like working on building things that I like. Yeah. And then when I started reversing that is like whenever I, the coolest opportunities and like the real thing started to happen. So, um, same thing, you know, and, and anyone watching this that has seen my content, it's switched up a lot. So I, I still do it, man. I like on the weekends, um, I still build companies. Like we just, we just closed a, a round of funding for a company that one of my best friends and I had built in a social music space. It's like a, like a social network for music where you can like listen with, with friends and like jam out and like share and discover tunes called road trip. Um, a buddy and I are working on like a, a pets brand right now that I'm just like passionate about and like cranking on. Like, this is what I do on my weekends. It's not, it's not just the job for me. It's like the stuff that I like am most excited about working out on, like on a Sunday morning. Hey Griff, what do you geek out on? Like what's your passion other than social media? Like what do you spend your when you have two minutes free in your day, what do you spend your time thinking about? Yeah. So, you know, that's a good question. I, it's, it's funny you asked that because I was going to, I was going to ask Matt something about, you know, for people that don't exactly know what it is, like, how do you find that? And, and like, what made you realize that your passion was what it was. And for me, I think right now it's about like, building for me, I like building a brand, like, cause it's been one of the things that I've struggled with. And like, the more I thought about it and the more I realized it was like, that's what I was kind of obsessed with is building, building my brand. And it started off as me not being good at it. And like, I, my brand is shifting now from what it used to be. And it's going to take a while because so many, so many times of, um, you know, being in the press and all of that, it kind of, um, dampened us with sway because we, we got pretty wild there for a minute, but I, I soon realized it was like, and I'm still realizing it and kind of fine tuning it to where exactly there I want to, I want to go with it, but I didn't know for a really long time. And then one day it hit me. It was like, all I would think about is like, what can I do to build my brand? Like, and I realized for other people too, I look at their profiles and I'm like, I would like look at what they were doing wrong or like look at things they could do better. Or, like what this person needs to like take this little clip and it seems like they like doing it. So they should like, you know, build something off of that and actually make a brand instead of just dancing on TikTok. So a little bit of mixture of a lack of brand um, on TikTok plus me and having my own issues with building a brand kind of just pointed me in that direction. So I, uh, 
the moral of the story is here, anyone, anyone listening, sometimes you, your passion is a lot more broad or it's, it's there. You're just not seeing it. So um, I feel like it's really important for people to hear because I struggled with it for a long time. Um, and then now I'm starting to fine tune that from gaming and health and stuff. Um, but building my brand has been really a struggle and one of the most interesting things I've done. I think it's a, it's a really interesting point, Griffin. I think a lot of people struggle with this. Like, what do, like people hear that, like what it's almost, it feels too soft, right? They're like, Oh, just follow your passion, follow your dream. And like that stuff always irks me a little bit because it feels like uh, a little woo woo and not like actually tactical advice. So like, if I were going to be more tactical about it, like I think your brand is your reflection of the things that you, that you stand for. And like, you know, the, the expectations you set with your, with the audience that you're going after and the consistency with which you maintain that, uh, that stance. And so for you, like if, if anyone's out there and they're thinking about like, well, how do I identify the thing? Um, I would encourage you to think about like, what is the thing that you spend time on that feels least like work? Like, and for you, Griffin, that might be fitness. It might be pets. I've seen the way that you are with your dog. You know, it, it might be, you know, podcasting and hanging out with friends and like, you know, uh, the, the time that you spend with your friends, um, you know, it, it may be health broadly, mental health, you know, I, I know is a, is a big area for you and pick the few things that, that like don't feel like work for you when you're spending time reading about it or talking about it and or doing it and like really double down on like, okay, on your off time like create content in and around that stuff. And that's how you make your brand stand for those things. Is you just start talking about those things, you start like, in, like building that into the things that you do. Your brand is like the accumulation of the, the little things that you do. And so you're doing it out, right? Business is one of those things. This is how you set the brand for Griffin is a, is a founder and entrepreneur and a, a great investor is that you put yourself in a community with other great investors and have a conversation about how to build brands. That's a really interesting way to, you're doing it right now. Like that became your obsession. This is the work that you're doing. Like you're staying consistent with it. And that's how you build your brand as someone who's like in that space. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that was one of the things that took me forever is, uh, I was trying to do every, my mindset was doing everything to go viral. It wasn't any, there was no structure about like, I'm going to focus on health. I'm going to focus on education, I'm going to focus on business. It was more like, I'm going to put my hand every single place that I see for a viral moment. And then six months went by and I realized that like my brand was like TikToker. Like that was about it. Like there wasn't any substance to it. There was no like core um, to any of the, any of the stuff that I was doing or creating. So let me now let me, yeah. it's different. I think, I think it's actually not a bad thing for you though. Like I would tell you that like what you did is you built this like container that you can fill with the things that you're passionate about. You have the audience and like, they love you. They care about you. You're not a TikTok or you're Griffin. And like, that just happens to be your channel for biggest distribution, but you're building others on top of that. And now it's about like some of that audience is there for just Griffin content. They just want that stuff from TikTok. You probably feel this not natively of like, I have to like dance for the audience, right? Like this is what they expect of me and this is what goes viral and those are the things. But you, you, it's not bad to do both of those, right? There were a lot of artists, I give, I'll give you like a throwback. There were a lot of artists at CAA who would do the blockbuster movie so they could build their brand 
And then they would go and do the things that they were passionate about. Like they would go and do the film about like climate change. They would go and do the film about like, you know, a, a coming, a coming of age story. And then they would go do like the blockbuster action movie and balancing both of those gave them the opportunity in social world. That means you have to do the viral things to stay relevant. So the algorithms continue to say Griffin's a huge player. And then the flip side is you can be like, Hey, now that you're here, I want to talk to you about mental health, fitness, and my dog and video games. Cause those are the things that I'm super passionate about. And I'll tell you why you should follow me for those things too. Not just cause the algorithm fed you me cause I'm famous. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm, that, that's the point that I'm shifting to now. It just takes obviously a little bit to, you know, implement that and not be annoying with it, but. Um, Balance, you'll do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, that's part of, part of being here right now is, is because building out the, you know, business side and, you know, tomorrow we have a, a photo shoot with Elon's mom and brother. So awesome. wow. we're like, <laughs> we get some crazy stuff coming up in the business. That's incredible, man. Congrats. Thank you. So thank you. What are you doing with Elon's mom and brother? I didn't hear about this. Like, how do you even hook up with them and why? Um, you know, we're just always trying to learn from people. And like, we get on a lot of calls and we, we don't genuinely don't want anything. Like we just go in to learn from people. And yeah. you know, as we're going, we just like find opportunities and it just so happened to lead into, you know, Kimball's, um, he has a, a big campaign going around, you know, gardening and planting and, um, you know, re replenishing the earth. So, uh, he was, he just mentioned to us that, um, they're going to do a photo shoot and do a big campaign for, for, for that. And, um, you know, he's got a magazine and everything. So we're like, yeah, we would love to. And then it ended up, you know, he's going to be there now and Elon's mom's going to be there. So, uh, what? <laughs> We're going to do a big campaign. That's amazing. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Gary, Gary wrote a book on this, uh, like jab, jab, right hook. And the, the premise was like, you know, uh, you know, I'm butchering his, his premise, but the, the concept is like, don't be transactional. you like, like, it's okay never to be transactional, but like, don't be the kind of person who's like, what's in it for me or what's the trend? Like, what's the commission? Like, that's the, that's the thing that I think one of the compounding things that I think the most highest performing friends of mine have had in their life is that they never are transactional. It's about the people that they want to work with and the things that they want to work on and like keeping those people together and like compounding over time. And so like just lending a hand because it's the, the because it's fun and you care about the person and you want to be supportive of their mission. You don't always have to ask for something in return. And it's actually better to not ask for things like, I spend a, a, a significant portion of my life jamming with founders on product and helping them think about partnerships and like helping people find jobs that like it'll it may never come back. It's totally okay because it's just like the fun thing to do and it's a good way to help people. But those people never forget that thing. And it's just like you put that good juju into the world and I promise you, you will be a happier person and probably have more opportunities than you ever imagined from those serendipitous things. Oh, no it's doubt. True. And Griff, I'm sure you get this all the time. I'm at a much, much, much smaller level. But my DMs all the time are, can you help me get verified on Twitter? Can you write it? It's always, can you write an article about me, right? <laughs> I never respond to any of them. But the people that say like, hey, I'm really interested in what you're doing. 
I get this all the time from college students. Like, I, I really love how you're in this YouTube influencer world. Like, could you help me learn more about it or whatever? I always, you know, I'll email them back. I'll always try to help. But yeah, a lot of people are just looking from something. And I'm sure Griff, you could probably get this a lot more than anybody. Somebody always wants something. And it's probably, I mean, people want, Hey, can you retweet this? Right. Can you tag me in this post? You get that. Do you get that a ton? I mean, does it get old? Um, I feel like I'm at a point now where most people know I'm not going to like do that. So I don't get as much of it. Um, from time to time, there's like some sorority girls that want me to repost things. And, uh, like that's oh, about it. What a what a <laughs> tough problem, Grandpa. Oh, I feel for you so bad, bro. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean that's like that's that's pretty much it at this point. I don't. I also don't get to go through all my DMs at like so I don't see everything. Um, <laughs> but definitely, like, there's been a lot of people. You know, that have asked directly, like, yo, shout out, yo, like, can you post or like whatever? And, um, and never, like, I never do it. The only time I ever post someone is like, they make something really cool. And like, I just so happen to see it, like, in my tagged mentions or something. Or like, you know, they asked me for help and like advice or whatever. And I see it. And then we ended up like forming a, a relationship. And that's happened a lot with video games for me. Yeah. Um, in that space because like people will be like yo like whatever i'm like hey man what's good like you know do you play cod i'd love to just hop on and like we can talk and play cod and like i make real relationships out of it so yeah. that's that's part of my love for video games mine too i love that part of that um there's probably another tactic that like your audience might find interesting that i found super effective which is like the difference we're kind of dancing around this idea which is like the 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 cold ask versus the cold offer and so like there's kind of like two ideas here like there are a lot of people whose instinct is like i'm going to call i'm going to make a cold outreach and make an ask the generic ones are the worst the highly personalized ones with context are fine and often can lead to great outcomes the third is like the cold offer which is like hey i just wanted you to know i'm a big fan of what you're doing i think i can help you in a couple ways if this is interesting to you, like here's here's an example of the work that I've already done. And that that third version is like not asking anything. It's just like, here's work that I've done on your behalf that I, because I'm a fan of what you are or even just a kind and supportive word, like that bucket is the one that like no one asks of you, no one does for you and is probably the highest outcome like value proposition you can give to someone. I can't tell you how many times I've done that where it's led to an investment in the future where I reached out to a founder and been like, Hey, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Here's a couple of interesting ideas for product. Here's a partnership or two. If you're up for it, I'd love to connect you to. And that's it. There's zero ask. It is just that if, if it's helpful, great. If not, no worries. And like the guy actually who I learned this, you know, uh, philosophy from is the guy who runs CAA today, Richard Lovett, who every meeting I ever saw him in, would go into a room, didn't matter whether it was the head of a studio or, you know, a, a young founder or someone who's just starting out and they would find some way to be valuable to that person. And it was like, they wouldn't ask directly. They would just find the things that that person was interested in. And it could have been sending them a script or a book or an article or a something that added that value to that person's life. And it's like, 
I've never seen somebody better in my life at building good relationships with people. And it's like something that I've taken personally into my life. That's dramatically impacted my success. I don't think I've ever like shared that thing that I do, but it's a great tactic. Dang. If, if Man, people are really listening. Oh, sorry. Griff, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying really dropping, dropping the inside scoop out of here. That's really it. That's it. Those, those couple, I promise you, if you do those couple, like, they will dramatically impact the trajectory of your career. Like just those couple of things of like finding the things that you're passionate about, spending time on the weekend, teaching people about them. And then the other one of like the cold, the cold ask versus the cold offer, the cold offer being a tactic for life. I promise you those are things that'll like accelerate. They accelerate my career now. I still do them. I'm not like beyond that. I like still do this to founders all the time and other investors and friends and people in different worlds. That's, I mean, yeah. You know, that sums it up. If you're listening and that's the only that's the only two things you really need to take out of this conversation, not Griffin and, you know, talking to sorority girls. I mean, that is interesting. No, that's the third. That's a very crucial piece. That could be a whole nother show and whole other podcast, right? But if you just take the warm outreach and finding your passion, shit, I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that really is what it's all about. So Matt, well, I think that. That's a good, that's a, I feel like that's a good way to, to, to wrap this up on a good note, leaving it short and simple for everyone. That's what I always try to do is I always try to bring it in and wrap it up and take, you know, advice from experts and successful people like yourself. And by the end of it, wrap it into a few themes that everyone can walk away with. So, right you on. know, for, I feel like the overall message we got here was, you know, definitely finding, finding your passion and learning how to build that out. Um, uh, and then obviously the other two tips you just gave about, you know, cold offer and cold ass and, you know, just like learning what you like to do and how you can hone in on that. And like what, what, what gets you up in the morning? That's, that's, that's the big thing is, and Michael always preaches that. So um, I would, would love to keep it sh- short, sweet and simple yeah. for everyone that is, uh, you know, on here and, wants to um, build something or do something cool. So right on. Can I, if you're down, I know this is like an addendum. It's a PS, but I got one more cause I did this for a friend today. And, uh, and I think it's a good framework for how to think about like this moment in life. And their friend, the friend was just starting out in their career and they asked like, how should I think about finding the company to go work at? And I think it's like your audience Griffin is probably right for this moment. There's a lot of people who are like, Hey, how do I figure out what to do in this world? And like, where do I start? And this is not just for the passion project on the weekends that I'm building an audience for. This is like my job. And like the advice that I would give them and your audience um, is, you know, startup is the best place to get, you know, your, your feet wet in, uh, in your career, early in your career. Finding a fast growing startup is like literally the best, you know, accelerant to a, a career. And the way to do it is um, uh, like a lot of people talk about like wishy-washy and I, I feel like I want to give like hard tactics. So I'm going to give you like a few steps that if you're asking this question in your career right now, like where should I start? This is what you should do. You should go online on a site like Crunchbase and find all of the companies that have recently raised seed series A and series B funding from top tier venture capital funds. And those funds, their entire job is finding and weeding through the top performing and potential high you know, growth opportunities at the early stages of startups. And I want you, I want you people to go and go to those, uh, make a list, a spreadsheet. And in one column, it's like, which of these companies have raised from these firms, take the top 10 list of venture capital funds. 
And then next to that, I want you to summarize what each one of those companies do. Like just write down the category that company is. Some of them might be like providing, you know, uh, life insurance products. You know, some of them might be, you know, a marketplace for dog adoption. Whatever those companies are, I want you to write down what the company does in like one to two sentences right next to it. I want you to put the founder's Twitter right next to that. And next to that, I want you to put where the company is. And next to that, I want you to put... uh, you know, uh, would you feel comfortable bragging about this mission? If you told your friends what you were doing, right? Like I'm working for a company that does this for dog adoptions, like write a yes or no on like, if you went back for a reunion or a family event, would you feel excited to brag about the company that you're at? Cause it's like an internal indication that that's a mission that you want to be on. And when you write down the founder's Twitter, I want you to go through and be like, is this the kind of person that you would want in your life? that you would be excited to have if they were a friend of yours or a mentor of yours in your life? Do the things that they talk about, the things they write about, something you're passionate about? And like, would you be proud to be like, this is the person that I'm, that I'm on the mission with? And like, when you do those things in tandem, what you identify is like a subset of companies that are fast growing, that have capital backed by great investors that have de-risked the market, a mission that you're excited about and curious about and passionate about in a city that you want to live in for the most part, although that world is changing and working with and for a founder that you respect. And like, if you do those things and then you go through the cold offer process that I talked about, where you're like talking about how you love the mission and why you can help. And here's the work you've already done. That's like the beginning work to find the opportunity to then like start jumpstart your career. And it's like, if I were back in your shoes and, or back in someone's shoes that was just starting their career, that is explicitly how I would get my go. Wow. That is real <laughs> legit concrete advice because you don't find that job on careerbuilder.com. No, 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 never, no. it'll never be posted. It won't no. be on their website. That is really how you go about it. Because you, yeah, if you're listening, you go, yeah, I'm like a cool high tech job in a field that I'm passionate about. Like, how do I get there? But that's exactly how you do it. That's excellent advice. Yeah, it's like literal step by step on how I would run the pro. Like, if I were 21 again, what I would do to find my first job, that is like step by step, every part of the process, how I would go and do it and how I would impress upon the founders. It doesn't matter, by the way, what job you have. Like, I would clean the toilets on a rocket ship, is the truth. Um, so that's, that's my, uh, for your audience, I think it'll be relevant for how to get your go. Matt, I appreciate it. That's, uh, that's some of the best, uh, you know, concrete startup advice I think we've ever, we've ever got. So, um, when it comes to jobs, anyone listening, Matt definitely does know what he's talking about. And he's gave some great advice to me that, you know, I, uh, I use daily. So thank you. Thank you, Matt, for coming on here and, uh, you know, helping out. You always, I always learn things from you too. So um, definitely not just the people listening. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. You're awesome. It's great to hang. Thanks, Tom, for, uh, for hosting, Griffin, for hosting. You guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks, brother. All right. Later. See you. See you, Matt.